If you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, <laughs> I thought to myself, he grabbed that bottle. I guess he brought his own bottle up there. I don't know what, what you know. Nope, nope. Now I've got him confused. No, no, okay, this is the one. This is mine right here. All right, let me take a swig here. Maybe if I drink after him, I can sing like him, amen? Maybe so, who knows? Luke chapter 12, we're going to, today we just got two, we got uh, just two verses, but I'm going to squeeze a whole 45 minutes out of it, amen? Okay, I'm just kidding, I'm, I don't know how long it'll be, but um, I, I want to I backtrack with you just a little bit. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together looking at Luke chapter 12, and you know I really love to keep you in the context, it helps me, and I know that if I need the help, we, we all need the help to stay in context, it just, just really helps to know the, the will of God and the purpose of the scripture. But if you look at Luke chapter 12, this whole chapter, uh, some, of the, some of the hardest sayings uh, that Jesus uh, said is in this chapter, and it prepares the disciples. What he's doing in this chapter is preparing the disciples for the reception that they will receive as Christ's followers and prepares them basically for their own death and for the persecution that they will experience. The overarching theme of this entire chapter you see in the first few verses when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. Uh, that term and situations like that are all through this chapter. Uh, he is trying to help us as believers uh, to, to stay away from the trap of, of being hypocrites. Uh, if there is one thing, if I had to put my finger on one thing that has driven more people away from the body of Christ and from the church than anything else, I would say it's hypocritical believers. I would say it's, it's, it's those that, that do not walk what they, what they talk. They, they talk a big game, but they don't walk it. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get through with all this. Now, we're not going to go through the, the entire chapter, but I do want to back up just to a couple of portions of Scripture. 35, verses 35 through 40, he talked about the second coming and to always be prepared for the second coming. He, he told the disciples, the apostles, to always be dressed and to always have your lamps burning. And what that basically means is to always be ready spiritually for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. Never, never be asleep at the wheel spiritually. Always be ready. Then he says those that are ready will be served by the king. And then finally that the king will come like a what in the night? He will come like a thief in the night. So we always have to be prepared because we don't know exactly when he's coming. Then in, in, in kind of lieu of, that, of, that, of those few verses, then he talks about, about stewardship. And about a master of a home and, and leaving these different people in charge of his home when he leaves. And he, and he gives you these three different examples and he kind of asks us like, what kind of manager are you when the master is gone? Meaning while Jesus is away with his father, he has given us the stewardship of the gospel. And, and how, how do we do with that while he is gone? Are we a faithful and good manager being obedient, sacrificial, living as Christ lived, and pushing into his kingdom as Christ did? Are we wicked and selfish? Uh, the example that he gave of the, of the uh, servant that he would come back and literally cut him into pieces, Jesus said. Uh, will we be the apathetic and rebellious servant or will we be ignorant? And he just kind of leaves you with that. He says, are you being a good steward of what the master has given you? Then probably in my personal reading and study of the scripture, one of the most difficult things that Jesus tells us, he tells us in the next several verses of 49 through 53, which kind of comes into the scripture today. And basically, if you look at both of the gospel records of what he says, Jesus is basically telling us that by following him and by accepting him, you bring the sword into your home. And I, I don't know about you, but, but when I come across that passage, number one, I can, I can know that it's true because I have dealt with people in my life where I've seen that happen. When they have come to know Jesus Christ and their family turned against them and persecuted them. I have seen it in my own life. Now I wasn't persecuted in that sense, but, but I was picked at and made fun of, uh, you know, told that it probably wasn't real and that I would walk away from ministry in a very short amount of time. It was all about the housing allowance, amen, you know. Not, not true, none of that was true. But Jesus brings the sword to your relationships. And there was three major movements in, in that text and, and I just wanna hit that for just a minute. 
The first one is that Jesus came to prepare the world for judgment. We don't like that term. I don't know that any culture on earth right now likes that term unless it's in a judgment in favor of you and in favor of, of our situation. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about when he returns, the second coming, that judgment will be established and Jesus will perfectly judge everyone. Perfectly, to perfection. We see this when he says, I, I came to cast fire on the earth and would it that it was already kindled? I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Some, some cross-references to the truth of this is 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. Paul talks about the, the second coming. He says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. Then Paul also speaks in Corinthians about the judgment seat of Christians and how Christians will be judged when Jesus comes back. And he says that each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The big question that you got from most theologians out of this text is what Jesus meant by his baptism. What did he mean by that? Uh, and and we, we, I know that he meant his upcoming betrayal, scourging, crucifixion, and death when he would be basically consumed, consumed by the judgment of God as the son of God who was innocent of all charges and who gave his own life as a voluntary sacrifice. So Jesus came to prepare the world for judgment. Number two, Jesus, his coming caused division in the immediate family. I started out talking about that. He says, do you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I, I tell you, but rather division for now, uh, I have, I have, now there will be one, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. So there will be division in the immediate family. Matthew says a little bit more graphically, Matthew says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword, a literal sword in your home. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. And if you have lived that, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. But he does, he brings this sword. When Jesus truly comes into your life, the change is radical and it impacts every aspect of your life to a degree that makes others very uncomfortable, especially unbelievers. And so what Jesus does when he comes and you receive when he comes, period, is that Jesus forces a choice to be made. Do we, do we all understand that? He forces a choice. It's not like you can be neutral. You either, are, you either believe in him and you trust in him or you do not. There's no neutral ground. So when Jesus comes, he, he forces a choice. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That passage that we, that we can all recite in our sleep that we, that we preach at funerals many times is I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So you have peace with God personally. We know that's true. That's what's meant by the Prince of Peace that he is called. We have peace personally, but, but we, when we say yes to Jesus, we've declared war on the world and Satan's kingdom, and Satan also declares war on you. And one of the most effective ways that Satan can declare war on you is by making those that you live with your enemies. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. So Jesus' coming has caused division in the immediate family, and then finally family division is generational and extended, so it doesn't just stop under your own roof. It expands out to your extended family. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother against mother-in-law, against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So when Christ is accepted by some and not all, division is the result and this division can be generational and extended. And it's real and it's scary and it's true. And these are words from Jesus in Luke chapter 12, preparing the apostles for the ministry that is before them, being his servants and apostles. Now, we have a, a shift suddenly in the text, verse 54. 
Um, and it seems out of place, it seems awkward, at least that's my evaluation as I read the text and have prepared this for you today, and it's very brief, it's just two verses, and there's a couple of verses right after that as well that are brief, and we'll, we'll, we'll get those in, in the coming weeks. But verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a, a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. And here's the stinger. You hypocrites, exclamation point, which basically means that Jesus probably shouted that to a certain degree, definitely elevated voice. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? It's a very interesting question. If you look at the parallel in Matthew 16, 1 through 4, uh, it involves the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this question. It says, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be a stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. Very, very similar, not much difference in principle of those two passages. Now, as you read the text, as I've said, these, these couple of verses seem somewhat strange and out of place. They do to me. I don't know if they do to you. But that question and that doubt is immediately disposed of because we know that the Word of God is inspired by who? The Holy Spirit by God. We know that every word the scripture tells us that every word is God-breathed, perfectly inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's right where it's supposed to be and says exactly what it's supposed to say in both gospels. The hard part for us, and it's always the hard part, in seminary term, they call it the hermeneutical gap. And the hermeneutical gap means this book was written so many thousands of years ago to, to a different people group in a different, on a different continent, and now we have to interpret that word for contemporary society 2,000 years later. That's a challenge. There's no question about that. The majority of the Bible is fairly easy to make that jump, but sometimes it's, it's not. This, this is not difficult to make the jump, but I'm just giving you that that is one of the challenges one of the challenges that Bible preachers have is to make that jump. Well, my practice, as you have noticed, now that I've terrorized you for four years, amen, my practice is, is to always look at the preceding verses to help interpret the current verse. Well, the preceding verses talk about how Jesus and the gospel bring division to families, there's already plenty of evidence of that in the Gospels, and we have all seen that personally in our own lives and the lives of others. So it's probably safe to suggest that this is something Jesus said many times to different groups of people. So the main idea he is giving them is that many who are following him are missing the greater significance of his coming. The kingdom of God is at hand in him, but they seem to be more in tune, know more about, be able to look at and instantly know the implications of the weather than the deep spiritual significance of Christ's coming. That's a stinger for everybody who heard that that day. It's a stinger for us this morning in contemporary America. And the question we ask ourselves is, are, are you more interested in the weather than you are the Word of God? That's basically what he's asking. Do you know more about, are you more interested in what the weather is doing than the Word of God? And how applicable is that on Memorial Day weekend? Amen? Who wants bad weather this weekend? Raise your hand. Nobody. We want beautiful, sunny skies so we can do what we want to do. Amen. So look at verse, verses 54 and 55. The people understood the weather, but not the word. By and large, you probably had some in the crowd that did. But Jesus gave this, this blanket statement calling them hypocrites. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west... 
You say it once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. Now, again, I keep saying this because it does seem like this to me, but this rebuke just seems out of place to me. It seems to come suddenly on the heels of Christ's harsh teaching about Jesus causing family division. And one of the consequences of Jesus coming is the possibility of your family being divided, three against two, two against three, in-laws against immediate, and immediate against in-laws. So this, this, as difficult as that is for us to hear today, it was probably equally as difficult for everyone to hear at that time when Jesus preached it. So I'm thinking that perhaps there was some form of audible response, an audible gasp from from the group that he is preaching to that we don't have recorded in the scripture. We don't know that, but it it could be. I think maybe that's what happened. How many of y'all ever watched English Parliament before on TV? I love those guys. I love them. Somebody says something and one whole side of the whole chamber goes, if you know, you know, then somebody said, and they go, ah, 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 ah. well, that's probably, possibly what happened here. I think that Jesus basically says that enemies are going to be the ones of your own household if you follow me. And I'm sure somebody out there didn't like that. They went, ah, oh, whatever, whatever. And so Jesus goes into this teaching. Maybe in his omniscience, he sensed in some of them a disregard for it. Or, now I'm speculating way out there, okay? But it's okay, because I'm the preacher, amen? (laughs) I'm speculating way out there, okay? Or perhaps, perhaps, the weather started to change at the moment he was teaching. And while he's teaching, instead of focusing on his teaching, what do they all begin to do? Look up and notice the weather. And so he senses all of this. You know, my my grandmother used to say, all it takes is a little rain and all the Baptists will stay home on Sunday morning. She used to say that. And it is true. When the weather gets nasty, that bed sure is comfortable, amen? It is. But do we care more about the weather or the word of God. Now, it's a little difficult for us in contemporary society to connect to this. It was to me. Because most of us, we have lived during the most technologically advanced time in history as far as meteorology is concerned. But for the ancients, the only way they knew how to judge the impending weather was to what? Study the sky and feel the atmospheric conditions. Judging the weather then was just as important as judging the weather now. Climate conditions are important to consider for many reasons. Farming, trips, preparation in general, just to name a few. The ancients had truly learned, truly learned the patterns set by God for the weather. They knew that when there was a cloud bank building up in the west toward the Mediterranean Sea, what did that mean? Rain. And they knew when they felt that south wind blowing out of the desert, they knew what was going to happen next. Scorching heat. Scorching heat. But even after all Israel's history and all the different theological minds that met, studied and debated regularly after all the miraculous works that Christ had done and was still doing, they did not fully recognize their own Messiah. And not only did they not recognize him, they were about to set a chain of events in action that would result in his murder on Calvary's cross, his execution. So they understood the weather, but not what the word said about the Messiah and his coming and the end times. The people understood the weather, but not the word. And the question for us is, do we, do we consider, do we worry about, do we think about, do we study, are we more concerned about what the weather is going to do than what the word of God says and applies it to our lives? That's the question. So verse 56, nearing the end, nearing the end. Verse 56. God's people 
didn't know God's word or recognize God's son. You hypocrites, he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Hypocrites, that, 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 that seems, and I'm just being honest with you, as I read the text and I, I study this incredible word, I don't know how else to do this, but to be honest with you, it gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes because I'm honest with people. Can you relate to that? That was really weak. Y'all lie all the time or are you honest? Okay, all right. It, 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 but hypocrite, it, it seems harsh. It seems harsh to me that, that Jesus would call all these people hypocrites because they had a good grasp on the weather, but, but not the word. Isn't, it, isn't that kind of harsh? No. No, no not, not really. It's not. Under, understanding weather trends is a very useful and good thing, and, and I think that it's good that that God's people understand the weather, but, but God's people need to be much more tuned in to God's word than the weather because unless I have grossly misinterpreted or missed something, the last time I checked, God was in total control of the weather. Amen? Total control of the weather. So I know I'm on solid ground if I'm in tune with God. The weather's gonna do what the weather does and I trust him there, whether it's destruction or whether it's good or bad, I, I, I trust God. And I trust his word because I know I'm safe and secure in him. All God's people should have a good grasp on his word. I, I grow very tired, very tired as a, as a 53 year old man that has served Jesus and served the church for 20 plus years. Uh, hearing the grumbling that I hear sometimes about studying the Word of God. Uh, I don't understand it, uh, and, and I know that all preachers deal with it to a certain degree, but for the entirety of my time as a minister, uh, it never ceases to amaze me uh, the number of professing believers that grumble about having to learn the Word of God. It never ceases to amaze me. The one primary thing that we, as God-called people, are supposed to do. <laughs> Study the word of God in order to propel us to his mission and give us strength is the one thing most time I get the most resistance about anywhere I have ever served in ministry. Is that not the weirdest thing? They say, well, Shelby, maybe it's you. Maybe. How great for you, amen? But I think it's the word of God. I think it is the word of God. I think that's what it is. And I think that's why we're so easily distracted to anything else but the word of God. The weather is one of the easiest things in the world to be distracted by. It just is. God created it. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I love watching come in. Love everything about the weather that there is. Man, I sat on the, on the, back, on the back porch of my house the other day and watched a thunderstorm come in. It was one of the most beautiful, terrifying things I've experienced in a long time. It was great. But then I asked myself a question. Do I study God's word and do I fear the Lord with the same intensity that I do that weather front that came through? And that's Jesus' point. How are we interpreting the times? How are we living our lives? Do we understand what the word of God says about the things that we deal with in our lives? Are we properly reading, struggling with, and applying the word of God to the things in our lives we need to be applying it to? I would answer that question by and large, no. Because if we were, the things going on in this nation wouldn't be going on in this nation. If we claim to be a Christian nation, but yet we have the things that we have going on in this nation, I, I, I do not believe that. I, I believe that there, there was a book written many years ago called Famine in the Land, and I believe that the average person that says they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is virtually, virtually clueless about what this book says about 85% of the things we say we believe. But brother, we know when it's going to rain, amen? We know when it's going to rain. We know when summertime comes. We know when autumn's coming because the leaves fall out of the tree. But do we know what God's word says about the family member I'm struggling with? Do we know what God's word says about the sword being brought into my home and what I can do about it? That's hard. 
That takes time. That takes effort. That takes truth. That takes, that, that's a struggle that never ends. And it's way easier to bury your head in the sand and go fishing than to deal with your problems, amen? Way easier. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. Hypocrites. I mean, we have more translations of the word of God today than we have ever had in the history of mankind. And yet there's a famine in the land on people and the knowledge of the word of God, especially in our country. Or, or worse, it's heretical and it's false teaching other than truly what the Bible says about something. That's what happens. So you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. So get this, Israel is splintered into, at this time that Jesus is saying this, Israel is splintered into four different sects, S-E-C-T-S. I always spell that out because it can get confusing. Sects that argue and fight regularly. Israel is currently under the oppression of who? Rome. John the Baptist has come preaching in fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 through 6. Christ has come in the lineage of David. He is performing miracles that clearly tell everybody that he is defined. The kingdom of God was certainly at hand. All the indicators were there just like the clouds and just like the scorching heat. But they were totally missing the boat. So how would we interpret our present time? How would we? How would Jesus interpret our present time? I'll give you a scripture. We're not there yet. We won't be there for three or four years, but it's Luke 17. I'm just kidding. That was a, I was just seeing if you were paying attention. Just seeing if you were paying attention. Luke 17, 26 through 30. Just as it was in the days of Noah... So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah, what? Entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Are we ready for that day to be revealed? I tell you what, that'll be one day that you look up into the heavens and I hope you better interpret the sky right, amen? Is when he comes back. That better be the day we all get right. So let's interpret the times correctly. Let's, and let's do that by knowing God's word better than anything else. I am as guilty as everybody in here in not knowing the word of God as well as we should. We don't. We need to know it better. And not know it better to lord over somebody else in your superior knowledge, amen? That's not what this is about. In fact, I would go so far to say, if your study and knowledge of the word of God creates arrogance and pride in you, you have totally missed the heart of Christ. Totally missed it. And you may be well on your way to becoming a wolf. May be well on your way to being a Pharisee. If that's the attitude you have. Studying the word of God and knowing the word of God should make you, number one, be a, be a humble defender of the faith and to be an equipper for other people to come to know him as well as you do, period. So let us know God's word better than anything else. Let us not make the mistake of being better meteorologists than we are theologians. Our primary motivating factor, the reason we get out of bed every day is Jesus Christ and nothing else. He is the one that wakes you up. He is the one that brings you sleep. He is the one that controls the weather. He, is, he, he brings the rain. He brings the storm. He brings the calm. And one day, every knee shall bow. Finish it for me. And every, that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Final, final text, Colossians 1, verses 15 and 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the simplicity of your teaching and how confrontive you can be over things that we get sidetracked into and don't, sometimes don't even realize it. I don't think any of us set out during the day to, to care, care about worldly things more than we do your word, but, it, but, but we're just distracted people. We just, we, we just allow ourselves to be drugged into things and, and to get captivated by things that, that, that take us away from your word and your will. And Father, I pray today that as you, as you talk to them when, when you were here in the flesh, help us to not be hypocrites in this way. Help us to not be hypocrites. Help us to turn everything towards you and to turn everything towards your word. When we're, when we're dealing with crisis in our own lives, relational issues or, or issues in our businesses or issues anywhere, Lord, help us as believers to have a proper witness and go first and foremost and to seek counsel from your word. And then apply what your word says. That way we will know that we are interpreting what we are in correctly. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, every time we come together, we always offer an invitation, Lord, and, and the invitation is very simple. We just want people to know that they can respond to you here, that this is a safe place for them to say yes to you. I, it doesn't matter what, what they've been entangled with in their past, how broken they are, the issues, the problems that they have. No one in here is without problems and brokenness, no one. No one. You want to take us from where we are right now, give us new life, and give us a new future. And Lord, I, I, I pray that there's anyone here, Lord, that has been seeking for purpose in life, that has seemed tossed by the wind, desperate, not understanding why certain things have happened in their life, worried, just or, or undone by the, the, the insanity that we see on the news every day. I pray that, that today or just at some point, Lord, in the future, that you would bring them to yourself. Help them know that there is a better way, that you are the way maker and you can make a way for them. And it begins with repentance, belief, and faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that was born of a virgin, that lived a sinless life for 33 years, that went and died a substitutionary death on Calvary's cross and was raised from the dead on the third day and is at your right hand right now waiting his return. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Please stand for a moment of response. Let's sing this church, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb could Rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men Counselor, Comforter, King
needed, if the ushers would come to collect the offering, please. And pray with me, everyone. Father, words cannot express how thankful we are to you. And we know that our salvation has been bought and paid for by your son, Jesus Christ, on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. But Lord, your word is very clear that there is a mission that we are responsible for as your church. And in earthly ways and earthly economics, we have to have funds in order to do ministry. And so, Father, you have asked us to give. Give, number one, to fund the ministries. Give, number two, out of thankfulness for what you've done for us. And so we come today in faithfulness of the tithe, faithfulness in giving according to means. And may our hearts be prepared to give and to give cheerfully. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm looking for a microphone. Angie, come make your announcement, right, please, ma'am? All right. Well, I um, am excited to say that we've got a couple of ladies' events coming up this summer, and our first one will happen on June the 25th, and I'll have a sign-up sheet next week for this. But it's on a Sunday evening, and I have a lady coming that's going to lead us in a painting project. So we'll get to paint canvases, and we should have two... Don't let Ken um, know that, wherever Ken is. Keep him... (laughs) We should have two painting um, ideas to choose from, and so I'm really excited about that. I think it'll be a fun time. And then um, I think, believe July the 22nd, it's a Saturday morning, will be our next coffee, and I'm working on a speaker for that. So um, I've really enjoyed the women's Bible studies we've had on Wednesday nights, and I'm excited to continue meeting together with you ladies over the summer with some fun events. So I hope you'll save the date for June the 25th, and we'll have a sign-up sheet where you can sign up and choose which type of painting you may want to do so our art lady can get... um, prepared. Thanks. All right. Thank you. We, we stopped doing announcements, but when your wife asks to make an announcement, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? You say, okay, honey, uh, can we have the slide presentation, please? There's a very special person that we're going to recognize today. <laughs> tell me you had no idea. Just tell me that. I had no idea. You had no idea. Fantastic. Uh, back about four years ago, um, I accepted the call to this church, and there was a guy with the last name I could not pronounce. Can I get a witness? Okay. How did y'all say it? I said Esser. What did y'all say? Oezer. Okay. But then I learned it was Ezer. He was the first and last Ezer I have ever known. Um, but immediately, uh, I could tell from, from his spirit... Um, that this was a very, very special 
uh, young man. And it's weird to call him a young man because I've always thought of myself as a young man, but I'm really not a young man anymore, so Colton's a young man. Uh, I immediately could tell that he loved you like no minister I think I've ever known. I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, anybody in this congregation, if you think for one second that Colton Easter does not love you, you are listening to Satan's lies. Because I am telling you that this young man and his wife love this congregation unlike anything I've ever seen in a minister's heart before. I mean... I, I mean, I'm the senior guy, right? So I'm supposed to train him, right? But he trained me uh, for the, about the first year I was here. Uh, I didn't know you. He knew you well. Uh, real well, amen? Real well. And he helped me uh, as the senior leader of this church and still helps me as the senior leader of this church. I could go on for 15 minutes uh, about my love for this man and his family I don't know in all my years that I have ever met a man, a minister, that is as constantly joyful as he is. It sometimes makes me angry how <laughs> joyful he is. Because I'm like, this can't be, this, this can't be real. This, this, but it is, it is. And his joy has one source, Christ, period, period. Everybody picks on him because his prayers are too long, amen? <laughs> he knows that. He's no fool. There's a reason for that. They're real. It's not a show. It's not to make you think he's hyper-spiritual. It's because that man knows how to talk to God. And I would highly encourage you if you got anything you need prayed about, don't call me, call him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, you can call me too. But um, the other thing about him that, that was very evident and one of the things that uh, has been very near and dear to my heart from the very beginning of being called into ministry because uh, my family was so broken growing up. And Angie, when we got married, the one thing we wanted to do was to have our family to stay together. We were, we were never going to leave each other no matter how bad it got. And because I just, I saw so much of it growing up, it was just, I just did not want the same thing underneath my roof. And so far, I think we've done it. We got a ways to go. But, um, but I saw in him, I mean, he wasn't even 30 when I met him. He was so far ahead of where I was at his age, spiritually, relationally, in his marriage with his kids. It was just amazing. And I have felt so richly privileged and blessed to serve alongside him for four years, and he's not leaving. Don't think this is a goodbye thing. He's not leaving. He better not leave. Um, he, I mean, if I'm having a bad day or if I'm down about something, he comes into my office and his smile just lifts me up, and all of us up for that matter, all of us as a staff. He is, I mean, he reminds me of Ronald Reagan. I mean, he's the eternal optimist. Y'all that know Ronald Reagan know he's the eternal optimist. Colton is the eternal optimist. It, it is it is he will find the silver lining in whatever it is, whatever difficult it is, he will find the goodness. He will find the Romans 8.28 in it. It doesn't matter. He will find it. And for a young man to love the word of God like he loves the word of God, it, it's, it, you don't find that very often. I have it in my life. So are we running the pictures up there? Okay. All right. I'm sorry I got just taken away. Um, he uh, is celebrating 10 years, 10 years. Now, those of you that have been here, I want you to think back 10 years over this congregation, what this church has been through over the past 10 years. And there he sits right there. And there his wife sits right back there. He's had three children while he's here. 10 years, 
the longest I've had anywhere was seven. You probably know why, amen? Seven years. <laughs> he is going to be graduating seminary, or has graduated seminary, is graduating seminary. Uh, and his birthday is the 4th, June 4th. So you're, we're, so you're graduating on your birthday. That's, that's pretty awesome, dude. Y'all tell me that this guy and writing the will of God, amen? I mean, all these different roads uh, channeling right in here. So, Colton, come up here, man. And at this time, yes. Thanks, man. Get your wife up here. Man, if I... Y'all don't understand. If, if I hadn't called his wife up here, I would have 10 members <laughs> chewing me out after service. You didn't bring his wife up there. So, and it's not, I didn't do it out of fear. You just need to be up here. Uh, where is Mark Cantrell? Mark Cantrell has a presentation. Mark, if you'll come up here. And Angie has a mic I think she can give to you. Or you've got a mic. You're the one that had the red mic. No, no. It's prepared. <laughs> yeah, always. I've always wanted to do this. Oh, boy. That's be between two preachers, so you got so they can see how it feels like you know service is over, but they're going to preach a little while longer. So I'm going to preach. <laughs> Actually, there is a there is a scripture I wanted to read that is very apropos to this moment, Colton, and this is in First Tim Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen and eighteen. Let the elders who rule well oh, yeah. be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. We spend a lot of time in our society talking about our bosses and about our companies and how they're mean and how they're, they're rough and they don't treat us right and they don't do this and that and the other. Folks, you're an employer. You, every one of you. And, it's, and, and I think today we would all join together and say thank you, Colton, for being faithful, for being uh, a man of God, for being a follower of Christ. Joanna, we all know that there's a good woman behind every good man, okay? We know that. And so on behalf of the church, we want to present you a, this, this small token of our pre appreciation that says... God bless you, brother. Thank you, sir. Amen. And I'll hand the mic back. Thank you, Mark, so much, so much. I failed to, to mention the two most important things about you is your love for your family, your, your, your love for your wife, and your love for your children. Um, any, any young man anywhere, anywhere should, should look to you as an example. Any, any man, old or young, should look to you as an example for that. So thank you for your love. 10 years. I've only been here for four of it. So, you know, it's been Still great. I, I can't imagine, you know, what the future holds, but, uh, do you have any announcements? Um, Oh, there I am. Um, <laughs> I guess the first thing I wanted to say is thank you guys so much. Um, it has been just my extreme pleasure and joy as Shelby has iterated already to serve you guys. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes congregation members can feel like a commodity to their pastors and you're not that. Um, you're, you're an image bearer. You're made in God's image. You're beautiful. And uh, it, it's a privilege and a joy to get to know your stories, to serve you, to try to help you. You know, the way I like to say it sometimes in our Sunday school class and when I'm teaching is just one little baby step closer to Christ because uh, that's what I'm trying to do too along the way. And uh, so I thank you guys for, you know, making it a, a, just a great ride so far. And it sounds like an ending speech. It's not. I'm, 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 I don't have any plans anywhere else. I mean, you know, I, I love you guys, and it's been just a sheer joy to serve you, um, you know, in the joyous seasons and, you know, the hard seasons that have come uh, to our church. And uh, you guys didn't step down. Uh, we didn't plan to step down. And, uh, you know, and I know of this man right here that he doesn't ever plan to step down either. So we're, we're going to keep plowing ahead with gospel ministry. So Amen. just wanted to say that, um, uh, now, now just for a little bit of announcement note, um, 
because we're not supposed to do announcements, but I did have to uh, squeak this one in there. Uh, if you are going on the Okoe trip, uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm far more concerned at this point that you get your waivers in than your payments, okay? We can work all that out on the, on the tail end if we need to, but, but you do need to get a waiver in. If you don't have a waiver, uh, you know, we're going to have our cars up here lined up ready to run, and if you come up here and don't have your waiver, I'm going to have to tell you you can't go, you know, so you got to, I'm, I'm talking about a student in, in particular, uh, you know, parents, you can sign your own waiver when you come up here, adults who are going, so that's the only thing I had to say, and other than that. Just, I got you. Okay. Uh, one final thing. The two of you go stand back there like your new members at the church and everybody's going to hug you on their way out. Also, when you go out this door right to the left, some of you probably saw it, there's a bunch of pictures around a dry erase board. Uh, we would like you to put some kind of encouraging note or thank you uh, note on there uh, for Colton and all his years of service. If nothing further, would you all please stand and I'll pray benediction. Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, we, we especially want to remember all of the servicemen and women who have given their lives for the freedoms that we have today. I thought Martha spoke that very, very well uh, from, the, uh, from the podium this morning. Help us to remember them. Uh, tomorrow when we are cooking out or just taking a nap or just thinking about all the blessings that you have rained upon us, Lord, help us to remember those servicemen and women that gave their lives so that we may be free. And Father, I thank you for Colton, 10 years of service, Lord, his wife, his children, just everything about him that we have come to love and appreciate, his loyalty, his commitment to you. Thank you so much for that. And Father, I pray I thank you for this congregation. And as I have said time and time and time again, I believe that Parkway's best day are ahead of us and not behind us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.